Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host. And wow, what a night of college basketball last night. SEC conference play was in full swing. And really, for the first time in a few days, even a week, we just had a full slate of college basketball action. Really the first post-Christmas night of a full slate of action. And we are here on the podcast breaking it down. Uh, breaking all of it down with you guys and I'm really looking forward to this because we just had so many teams in action last night so many different things to talk about I'm not going to be doing it alone joining me he is the host of the Aaron Torres sports podcast he's the founder of Aaron Torres media AT it's been a little while what's going on my dude ZK hope uh hope you had a good holiday um and uh you know uh I list been listening to the pod myself when I'm not on so I, I always appreciate you having me and you're right, man. It was, um, you know, it felt like it just felt like, and and I, you know, one of my pet peeves is like, anytime there's a good game in November, December, January, everybody's like, oh, you know, it's, it may only be December, but it feels like March. And, and I, I kind of like, it kind of annoys me. It's like, why can't we just have good games in December? But I guess it would have been what two Wednesday night. It was like, you were flipping between one channel to the other, to the other. And it definitely had a late season high stakes, high leverage feel to it. Um, so I'm excited to break it all down. Some teams more than others. And uh, let's rock and roll, my man. Yeah, it almost felt like an NFL Sunday going up uh, yeah. through TV, uh, breaking, uh, watching all those different games. But you know where we're starting, AT. It is in Columbia, Missouri, as the Missouri Tigers. They beat Kentucky last night, 89-75. to This was both teams' SEC opener. And obviously, Kentucky, they're the big story. We're going to get into all of the problems that they have right now, what – John Calipari, if anything, could do to fix it. But before we do that, I just wanted to give a shout out to Dennis Gates and Missouri. You know that both of us were really high on this team and the higher in general going into the season. But a lot of people didn't really know after their solid start if they were really that good, that legitimate, considering it was a very weak schedule. And the one big game we saw them in against Kansas, that was really over before it started. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Dennis Gates and Missouri in his second big game. Uh, uh, with Missouri, they came through with the victory. And the results aside, it's just really cool to see the energy and how excited those fans are about Dennis Gates because it's been a minute since uh, Missouri fans have been this uh, excited. Yeah, and it's true. Is like you don't want to like diminish like the story is Kentucky, right? And it's like it's like after any big marquee program in football or basketball or the NFL or the like like when the Lakers lose, the story is always the Lakers. It's never that the Denver Nuggets beat them, you know, but. I will say a couple of things is one, you know, I was kind of just starting in this industry. I was probably about your age when that last kind of like Missouri team that was like a two seed and they lost in the uh, like first round to uh, to Norfolk State, which was like 011, 012. That was really like my first or second year doing this. And uh, as I was younger, you always heard about how great the Missouri fan base was, how much they cared about college basketball. And we sadly just haven't seen it over the past probably 10 years with Kim Anderson and, and Conzo Martin over the last couple of years. I mean, we saw it a little bit with the Michael Porter Jr. year, but even that year, Michael Porter Jr. gets hurt early and you don't really see it. And so um, I'm, I'm excited for the fan base. I think it's great to have any f engaged fan base that's part of college basketball, like have a good team. Um, and then I'm, I'm just really impressed by Dennis Gates, man, because, you know, like I think the thing that like you and I know, but maybe others don't is... And you and I have talked about this privately, but like good coaching is kind of adjusting 
what you have to your personnel. And when he was at Cleveland State, they were a defensive-minded team, didn't score a lot, played in the half court. Everything was about grinding out wins. And now he's at Missouri, and I don't know if he just feels like he has better players with Kobe Brown or the opposite, that he feels like the only way he can win is by pushing tempo. But for them to be 12-1, and they're one of the nation's top scoring teams, and they're basically doing doing it in the exact opposite way that he did at Cleveland State. That's what stands out to me is like like he is adjusting to the personnel that he has, and I think that program is in very, very good shape going forward. Yeah, and it's interesting. He brought uh, with him a lot of those players from Cleveland State. Demoy Hodge, one of the best players in the SEC so far this season. The only real reason he's at Missouri right now, he came uh, there with Dennis Gates. And I agree with you, seeing that fan base going crazy last night. It was a rocking building, rocking atmosphere. So shout out to Missouri. But let's get into Kentucky here. You said it. It's the biggest story coming out of this game. The fact that it was another big game against another marquee opponent. And Kentucky just didn't look ready to play. They didn't look prepared. And there's some serious, serious problems. And going into this game and really for the past few weeks, my thing with Kentucky and on Coach Cal has been, okay, it's clear. Like Severe Wheeler and Oscar Shibway, they're both playing a lot of minutes. Both of them can't really shoot the basketball. So how do you build an effective offense with these two guys? Or even if you have to make a change, which I know uh, a lot of Kentucky fans have wanted to do at point guard, but there's just no offensive identity with this team right now. And there are just so many talented, there are too many talented players and too many talented pieces for the offense to look this bad. And I don't necessarily know if there's just one solution for coach Cal to make. There are definitely some problems going on, but what were your, what was your main reaction coming out of that uh, game last night for Kentucky? And is this manageable? Can they fix it? Well, I think the part that you brought up is really interesting because I did <laughs> the DMs were were uh, a, a flow uh, on uh, on Wednesday night after that game, and one DM from a Kentucky fan just basically said, "You know, at what do we do?" And I think my big thing is I don't know that there's one easily fixable thing. I mean, you look at coming into yesterday, Kentucky was one of the top three point shooting teams in college basketball, but they can't seem to hit in spots that they need to against good teams. On top of that, you know, I thought the UCLA game, which was before Christmas, uh, I thought Severe Wheeler really hurt them. Severe Wheeler, their point guard, I thought he really hurt them. A lot of weird plays. Um, doesn't shoot the ball well, though. He shot well at Missouri. Uh, I thought he played fine the other night against, or I thought he played fine against Missouri after looking really bad against UCLA. So it's not this, it's not that. I think the biggest thing, Zach, is exactly what you just said. And and I think it this does fall on coaching. And I'm not always... I don't always side with the fans or the common narrative or whatever. I think that's why you and I get along so well is because we always kind of try to find the story behind the story and separate fact from fiction. And just because somebody's saying this, it doesn't mean that it's true. But my takeaway is the same as yours. How is it December 28th when you play this game, SEC play, conference play, and you don't have an identity? You don't know who your guys are. And I understand all these programs go, you know, they have turnover, all that good stuff. But keep in mind, the SEC is one of the last conferences to start league play. Kentucky had a very manageable out-of-conference schedule relative to teams in the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big East, that have already started league play weeks ago. I mean, UConn played its third Big East game on uh, Wednesday night. Villanova played its third Big East game. Xavier played its third Big East game. On and on and on and on and on. And so that's where I think my frustration would come in with a Kentucky fan. If you have your lineup and guys just aren't making shots, that's one thing. If you have your lineup and there's deficiencies, that's one thing. But when you still can't figure out who plays well together and what we should be doing and where we should be going, 
that's where I would have a problem if you're a Kentucky fan. And then on top of that, and I think you were the one that brought this up to me. I know somebody did uh, over the last 24 hours. You had the summer tour. And why do we have summer tours every year, Zach? We know why. The coaches love it because it gives you extra practice time, game reps under light settings where you can start to figure this stuff out. So you look at an Alabama that has kind of figured it out. They had an awesome win at Mississippi State. And oh, by the way, they've already dealt with injuries with Namari Burnett. Arkansas, last second loss at LSU, but they've mostly figured it out despite injuries. Kentucky, it's like, dude, you had all spring. You had four games in the Bahamas to work through this stuff. You had a relatively light out of conference schedule where you played a Michigan State team that isn't very good, Gonzaga. Then you have a big gap before you play Michigan. Then you have a big gap before you play UCLA again. That's where I would be frustrated is by now, you just, you don't have to have all the answers, right? It's like Cal Perry always says, I tell my shooters, you don't have to make all your shots. You just can't miss them all either. That's how I feel about Cal Perry. You don't have to make, you don't have to have all the answers today, December 29th, but you can't have no answers at all. And right now that's how it feels for Kentucky. And also, I think the thing that's really frustrating is this is an older team with a mm-hmm. lot of players that came back from last year in addition to, as you said, the foreign tour and uh, the the non-conference portion of the schedule. But again, like every time th- this season, except for the Michigan game, which I don't even know if we could put that game into the same category as some of the other big games Kentucky's played considering just how those teams are looking right now. But it seems to me like against Gonzaga, against UCLA, Last night, every time we see Kentucky in a big game, they A, don't look prepared, and B, they just they don't look like the better team. And I gave John Calipari credit a few years ago. It really started when he brought in Reed Travis from Stanford, and it's continued, like bringing in some of the best transfers available on the market opposed to some of the best younger players. And I thought with doing that, it would at least improve some of the early season struggles Kentucky faced in the past like at least with those freshman led teams it would be bad early but they'd figure it out and like these older players aren't helping that and we've seen it like the last few years as time goes on we don't know if those older players could improve and get better opposed to some of those freshman teams that that struggled early with John Calipari and this team they have a little bit of both but the chemistry isn't there and one other thing about the foreign tour like I don't that was a few months ago, not a few years ago. Like Jacob Toppin just looks like a totally different player. Damian Collins, who looked awesome uh, during the foreign tour, he rarely even plays. So what was the point of those things if nothing's coming to fruition? Well, and that that, you know, that's what stands out to me too is a couple of things. One, you know, you have an Antonio Reeves who's shooting 40 whatever percent from three. Um, and maybe there was an injury that I missed, but he just really didn't play after the first few minutes. Um you know, uh, uh, Damian Collins, I thought, you know, I texted an NBA scout buddy of mine saying, I think he's a first round pick. And and my buddy said, well, I'm not, I'm not sure, but he could get there by the end of the year. He's not even getting on the court for games that matter. And Jacob Toppin's the guy, man. And listen, you know, I, I've kind of changed my stance on this where I don't love criticizing younger players, young guys, whatever. But a couple of things. Jacob Toppin's uh, either a fourth or fifth year guy. I can't even remember, but he's 22 years old. He'll be 23 by the end of this season. And this is the NIL world is you're being paid to deliver. Like, I hate this to be that crass and that blunt, but that's the reality of the world that we live in. And, you know, with the rewards that come with being a Kentucky basketball player, the NIL stuff, free opportunities, promotion, market, you got to deliver at some point. So that, that's the frustrating part to me. And especially Jacob Top, an older guy. You and I have definitely talked privately, maybe even on this show about, you know, Keon Brooks leaving opens up the floor for Jacob Toppin to take that next step. And he just hasn't. And so 
I don't know if it's I don't know if it's something behind the scenes. I don't know if it's a confidence issue, um, but there are certain things that I do blame Calipari for. But this is one where it's like you just need more out of that guy. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to motivate him. That's not my job to figure out how. That's why John Calipari's paid eight million dollars a year. But that was the guy that when I looked at Kentucky and I, I didn't pick him to win a national championship or even make a final four. But when I said they can get there. It was never about Oscar Sheboy. It was never about Cason Wallace. It was never even about Severe Wheeler. It was always about um, Jacob Toppin making that next step. And it just hasn't happened. And I think at this point, he's largely unplayable. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Lance Ware, who I've been really critical of, you know that, um, like, he's looked good. He's played hard. At least he plays hard. He's limited in what he could do, but he plays hard. And that's not even something you could say about Jacob Toppin. Yeah, and that's a good point also with us. A lot of people uh, assume that Tomp- that Toppin would take that leap, and he was being projected as a first-round pick in a lot of places. And I think that's another thing this Kentucky team is lacking. Like, where are those dudes? Where's the Brandon Miller on Kentucky? Where's the Anthony Black and the Jordan Walsh? Like, I haven't really seen that so far. And it's crazy to say that because they have Chibwe, they have Cason Wallace, who's playing pretty well. But when you look at this Kentucky team, it doesn't feel the same as some of these other teams that just had dudes that would just come into the gym on a night in night out basis and get the job done. And uh, it's crazy because Kentucky, they're going to be playing a rivalry game this weekend against Louisville. We know this isn't the usual circumstances for such a big rivalry game. We don't even know like how interested these two fan bases are, but what yeah. happens if Kentucky drops that game to Louisville? Like, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I don't think it's impossible. Like, when we watch this Kentucky team right now, we said it against Michigan State. We said it against Gonzaga. Like, oh, give them time. They'll figure it out. When you watch this team, they don't look like an NCAA tournament team to me, which is a huge problem. Well, I yeah, I, I agree. One, I would say this is I don't think they're going to lose to Louisville, and I think that's more of a testament to how bad Louisville is than, you know, that Kentucky is going to be improved. I will say this, um, you know, I'm not a hit the panic meter button guy yet. But after Louisville, Kentucky plays its SEC home opener against LSU at home and a, a, a now 12 and one LSU team. Believe it or not, Zach, there's two teams left in the SEC that are, are one loss teams, Missouri and LSU. If you lose to LSU at home and this is no discredit to Matt McMahon, whatever. That's where I think they're probably not they're, they're they're probably not making the tournament because you know and I was talking I was on actually in College Station doing radio this morning on on Wednesday on Thursday morning, excuse me. And we talked about Texas A&M and I said, it's kind of the same with Kentucky is like at a certain point, you can still reach all of your goals, but when you lose as many games as in A&M's case or te- Kentucky's case, they have different goals, but it makes the path that much harder. And so I guess my point that I'm, I'm beating around the bush on is if you lose to LSU at home, a team that at one point in April had zero scholarship players, like they lost every player to the portal and they lost two or three guys to the NBA draft. If you lose that game at home, I love Matt McMahon. I love what he's going to do at LSU. That's where I start to say, I don't know that you can make up the games that you need to to make the NCAA tournament because they still play uh, home and home with Tennessee. They play, and by the way, Rick Barnes has owned John Calipari last three or four years. They play at Alabama a week from now. They are not ready to play that Alabama team. They got two games with Arkansas. They play at Auburn. Oh, by the way, they have Kansas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So, you just look at this league, and I think, you know, even going back to the Texas AM analogy and, and Texas AM wanting to make their run, I think what we're seeing is that we knew that top part would be good, and we thought Kentucky was going to be in that part with the Tennessees, the Alabamas, Arkansas. But I think even that next tier, even if Missouri and LSU and Mississippi State, maybe they aren't Alabama, and maybe they are, but maybe they're not Alabama. 
Uh, maybe they're not Arkansas. They're still really good, and a couple of them are going to be tournament teams. And so I think th- I, I think I think Kentucky beats Louisville. To answer your question, it will be hysteria if they do not. But I think that LSU game is the one you have to circle where if you can't beat LSU on your home court in an SEC opener, that's where I start to wonder if you look at the games left on the schedule, you look at how certain teams are playing, if they can actually do enough to forget, make a run in the tournament, just get into the tournament period. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to lose to Louisville either. But, dude, like this team looks much closer to the Kentucky team we saw two years ago that missed the NCAA tournament than even the worst basketball Kentucky played last season, which is just crazy to think about. And I wouldn't be panicking this much if this was just a one-time thing. But, like, the way the last two seasons have ended with the amount of hype there was going into this season and the amount of disappointment we've seen so far – I understand why Kentucky fans are kind of in the skies falling mode because it's just been that frustrating. Last thought is that you mentioned the 2020 season and I saw a couple people reference this is that, you know, this is trending towards that. But even that year, you had the excuse of a of a worldwide pandemic, right? Um, and oh, by the way, that was the year where they were still recruiting mostly freshmen. And oh, you know, you can't practice them. And you can't. So there were even even in a nine and 15, 16 season, whatever that ended up being, you had built in excuses that you're just not going to have this year if things go sideways. So I do think they beat Louisville. To your point, I don't think it's guaranteed where I think even two weeks ago, I think it's okay. We don't know what the ceiling of this Kentucky team is, but they're going to destroy Louisville. I don't even know if that's true. But then beyond that, I know I just said it a few times, but I think LSU is the game to circle. They lose that one. You start looking at at Tennessee, at Alabama. By the way, at Tennessee, at Alabama, before the middle of January, before January 15th, they play at Alabama, at Tennessee. They have a return game against Tennessee at home. They play two games against Arkansas. They play at Auburn. That is where I would start to worry if I was a Kentucky fan. Yeah, so you mentioned LSU, and uh, before we get into them and their big win over uh, Arkansas last night, there was one more thing on Missouri I wanted to hit on. So you mentioned Kobe Brown. He is playing great, dropping another 30-plus point performance last night, and he stayed at Missouri, right? He was there with Conzo Martin. The Tigers were at the bottom of the SEC last year, and I am just really starting to notice this trend in college basketball. I think we've we've, uh, mentioned it a few times on this show, but you see Kobe Brown, he stays at Missouri after a new coach gets there. We also saw that with Mississippi State. Tolu Smith, one of the best players in the SEC right now. Chris Jans comes in. He gets him to come back. He gets DJ Jeffries to come back. We saw it last year with Arizona. Tommy Wood getting all of Sean Miller's guys to come back. And Mike Woodson. I think this is a trend that's going to become very important. if you're a Sean player. Miller this year, by the way. Yeah, great point. Another one. So there, this is a new trend that if you're a first-year head coach, especially if you get a decent – power six job. The reason why your predecessor was fired was probably, or at least had something to do with the fact that he had talented players. It just wasn't good enough to win ballgames. And if you're a real upgrade at head coach, you could take that talent that the previous coach couldn't win with and take advantage of it. And I think we're seeing that with a lot of these new first year head coaches around college basketball. And I think if you're in that position, the sooner you realize like, okay, when I first get to my new job, the number one priority has to be keeping the guys who are already here instead of going after everyone in, in the transfer portal. I'll give you a good example of that. Um, when Nate Oates got the Alabama job, Herb Jones and John Petty were in the transfer portal, or at least John Petty was. John Petty and Kyra Lewis were for sure, and I think Herb Jones was too. And John Petty was the backbone, along with Herb Jones, of that SEC championship team in 2021. 
Um, and so I think you're right. I think what it, what, it, what it says to me is a few things is one, everything that you said is that you have to, the, the number one goal is to retain the players that are in the program that, that, that you think can help you win. Um, and then two, I just, I, I don't think that there's such a thing as a uh, five-year rebuild, four-year rebuild anymore, not with the transfer portal. Um, and that was something I noticed in, in really 2021 in that COVID year, uh, Juwan Howard wins the big 10 in year two with a lot of holdovers, but some plug and play players in the portal. Um, obviously Eric Musselman, that was his first of two sweets, uh, elite eights back to back. And then I just mentioned Nate Oates in Alabama. So I, I, I don't think you can use, you know, this is a complete rebuild and overhaul the way you once could. Now, some situations are better than others. Um, you know, as an example, I'm not necessarily a believer in Mike White at, at Georgia, but his situation was obviously a lot worse than say, I don't know. I can't even think of anybody, Mississippi States maybe, but at the same time, I don't know that, you know, very many people had a worse situation than Matt McMahon, where, as I said, all 13 scholarship players were either in the portal or had declared for the pros. Now, a couple of them, he got to return. He brought a couple of guys with him from Murray State. He had to recruit a roster of 13 players. Uh, Dennis Gates, and, and I think this is another thing, too, is like Dennis Gates knowing that some of his guys could step up and compete in the SEC. So it is something, and it's something that I've talked about a lot, is that when, when these schools are... Uh, looking for new head coaches. I think this has to be part of, and I, I know it is, but it has to be part of the conversation. What is your plan? Because in the transfer portal era, there's no reason we have to wait three years for you to put a competitive team on the, on the court. And as I've said many times, you know, the Eric Musselman blueprint where he comes from the pros, maybe he's a little bit more comfortable flipping rosters though. I'm not saying there's another Eric Musselman out there because there probably isn't, but those are the kinds of guys, you know, I hate to use this name right now because I don't know if he'll ever coach college basketball again, but Chris Beard, Juco ranks, you know, minor league basketball, comfortable flipping over a roster. And again, we'll see if he ever gets the opportunity to do that again. But those are the kinds of people that you need. Uh, and if you're if you're going for the guy that wants that, that's going to tell you he needs four or five years. We just have too much proof in the last couple last couple of years that that's not the case anymore. Yeah, we're seeing it with Chris Jans, too. I know uh, they lost last night, but that's part of the big reason why he's just such a perfect fit at uh, Mississippi State. He has that Juco background. He yep, knows, great call. Yeah, he knows uh, what to do when you uh, have to build a roster in a quick period of time. But you mentioned Matt McMahon, and I wanted to get into some of these other SEC games from last night. I was really impressed with LSU because they've gotten off to a really good start, 12-1. and one. And that's another thing that Missouri did, too. Like, I love – these first-year coaches that come in with a plan, they start with a little bit of an easier schedule just to give their team confidence, just to give their team a little bit more experience playing with each other. And in kind of an ugly game last night, I thought it was impressive by LSU that it wasn't K.J. Williams who put the team on his back and led them to victory. It was Derek Fountain and Trey Hannibal, the, the Murray State transfer, who came to LSU with Matt McMahon. That's what the really good teams do. The fact that LSU was able to find a way to beat a very good Arkansas team that's ranked in the top 10 uh, when the game was ugly. It really could have gone either way. Uh, and they really got in the face of Ricky Council, made things difficult on him, who's been really Arkansas's top player so far. I'm really impressed with Matt McMahon and LSU. And even as someone who was pretty high on them, big picture overall going into the season, they're much better than I expected. And uh, especially compared to some of the other teams in the SEC that have disappointed. Again, it goes back to what I said a minute ago, which is, you know, and I, maybe even another layer of what we just talked about is like the idea of I'm using the portal 
but I'm using the portal with a plan. I mean, anyone can can look at an all-conference this and all-conference that, but Derek Fountain was a guy that did not play at Mississippi State last year, and Matt McMahon and his crew saw something in that kid that said he can help us contribute this year uh, at LSU. Other guys from either high major programs, but also the guys from the mid-major programs from from the Murray States that he said could come in and deliver. And so I'm so impressed. You know, I, I mean, I just think what he's done, it, it's going to go underrated because there's just so many good stories in the SEC. And I think even Missouri, because they're, they were as bad as they were last year, I think that's going to get a little bit more credit than LSU will. But as I said, LSU, just because they were a tournament team last year doesn't mean that Matt McMahon did not have an uphill battle when he got there all 13 players in the uh, uh, in the portal. And like you said, to rebuild and to find those guys that can help you win SEC games. Derek Fountain, Trey Hannibal last night. I'm really impressed by this group um, and found a way to win against an Arkansas team that kept making plays. And uh, that was a fun game for sure. Yeah, one other game from the SEC I wanted to get to. We mentioned it a little bit earlier from the Mississippi State side, but I just continue to be really impressed with Alabama. It was close uh, for the first half of that game, but it was clear that Alabama was the better team. And in the second half, they were really able to pull away. And I've been impressed with Alabama in the sense that, one, they only have two losses, and they're two UConn and two Gonzaga two of the better teams in the sport, but also they've struggled with injuries. Uh, you mentioned Namari Burnett, Quinterly. We didn't know what his status was going into the season. And it seems like every time you watch Alabama and they win these games, it's a different person that steps up. Brandon Miller last night with 19 and 12, but when they beat Houston on the road, he didn't even score. You have uh, Jaden Bradley stepping up in certain situations. Betty Yako, he's looking like a great fit in uh, the Nate Oates' defense at the five. Like, they're just they have four freshmen playing significant minutes like they're just so many things to like with this Alabama team. And right now, I'll say it. I think they are the team to beat in the SEC. I, I want to see Tennessee at full strength with uh, Josiah Jordan James back. He should be uh, healthy back in the lineup, ready to go soon. But I just could not be more impressed with Nate Oates and this Alabama team. Yeah, so full disclosure, <laughs> my my uh, my bet for a best bet on Wednesday night was the under in this game because I said Mississippi State's a top five offense, a top five field goal percentage defense, scoring defense. I said I think it's low scoring, and I think that Mississippi State has the chance to win outright. For Alabama to win this game in the manner that they did, seventy eight points, it was really impressive. Zach, did you know? And maybe you did, but for the the average listener, I bet they didn't know. Mississippi State had not given up more than sixty six points in a single game this year. They'd only given up 65 or more one time all year. Alabama had that with about eight minutes left in the game. And again, I say this as somebody who had the under in this game and saw it, uh, you know, slipping through my hands like sand, you know, in an hourglass. It was just it, you could just see. And so I'm really impressed. And, and I was telling, you know, we have a, a, a Alabama specific Twitter page that, that's run by an Alabama fan Torres on Bama and. What was so impressive about that was just that was the type of game that against a young team, again, that's the kind of game that you should struggle with. On the road, SEC play, physical team. Mississippi State's not super skilled, but they're not going to give you anything. And so the idea of Alabama going on the road and really after about the first eight or so minutes, it wasn't even really competitive. I think because Arkansas was losing around the same time they were, because Kentucky got smoked by Missouri, as we obviously discussed to lead the show, I don't think that conversation is going to get discussed enough as how impressive that Alabama game was. I still think Alabama and Arkansas are 1-1A. One one 
I'm not concerned about Arkansas because they lost, you know, on the final play of the game to a future NCAA tournament team in LSU on the road. I think those are one and one a in that conference. And, you know, I, I think you and I had a lot of questions about Alabama last year with the way things went. They're right back to where they were such an impressive team and to do it on the road in an SEC opener, I thought was really impressive. Yeah, and looking at Alabama's schedule, they, their next four games are going to get good. They will host Ole Miss, but then following that three-game stretch, hosting Kentucky at Arkansas and hosting LSU. So Ooh. that is a three-game stretch for Alabama. We'll have to keep our eyes on. But Do they uh, do they ever have an easy game? Like they, Their schedule is unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, they play Kentucky at Arkansas, LSU before the middle of the month. And oh, by the way, at Missouri ain't going to be easy either. Jeez, yeah. The SEC is a gauntlet. And even though there are some teams that have disappointed, like I know you saw Auburn last night uh, finding a way to beat Florida. You know, they've won 26 home games in a row. Bruce Pearl has uh, really done a good job to give Auburn or Neville Arena, they're calling it now, a really good home court advantage. Um, Before we get out of here, AT, any other thoughts uh, on big picture college basketball across the country? I know your UConn Huskies were in action last night. They got a big win over Villanova, Xavier. They go into St. John's. They get a big win uh, for Sean Miller and company. Any other uh, takeaways from a great night of basketball action last night? Well, I was supposed to be at the Xavier UConn game on Saturday until Southwest, you know, ruined my my travel itinerary. But what I would say with the UConn Nova game, I actually and I, and I say this as somebody who follows the Huskies, I I was really impressed. I'm actually I'm starting to get back on that Villanova train. I thought first of all they had the right blueprint. Um, they limited paint touches for Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon. I've I've seen our buddy Rob Douster do some video breakdown. I guess UConn fans are concerned because Sonogo didn't have a bunch of points and rebounds. It's like the whole game plan was to limit him and make UConn make outside shots, specifically anyone other than Jordan Hawkins, Alex Caravan comes through. So I bring that all up to say, I was actually impressed by Nova on the road against a team that was physically more superior to them. Clearly that was a one possession game late. And so I think what that speaks to is if Nova can play the way that they did on Wednesday night in Hartford against UConn, there isn't a game left on the schedule that they can't win. And so if you had asked me even two weeks ago, is this a tournament team? I'd say maybe 2023, 2024, but not this year. I don't know that I feel that way anymore, especially because we know the Big East. There's been some struggles, the middle, the bottom of the league, maybe not as good as we thought. I was very impressed by Villanova, even in a defeat on a Wednesday night. Yeah, since they got Cam Whitmore back, they're looking like a different team. And I don't know how effective Justin Moore could be if he does end up coming back. I don't think he's coming back, man. Everyone's playing that up like it's a thing. I mean, to come back at all from an Achilles and then to expect him to be anything that he was, I don't mean to cut you off. I just think too many people are invested in that being a narrative. I just don't see it happening. Right. He might come back, but it's one of those situations where I'll believe it when I see it in terms of his effectiveness, his effectiveness and him possibly being anything close to the player uh, that he was at Villanova, a really talented player. But AT, I wanted to thank you so much for joining me here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Always great uh, talking college basketball here with you on the show. Yes, anybody in Ohio, by the way, New Year's Day, Bedford is throwing a great party in Cincinnati, Foling Warehouse. Check that out. Follow my Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Follow Zach's Twitter for more details. But they're throwing a great party. Uh, hopefully, they'll be coming off a Buckeyes win, have plenty to celebrate. Uh, but enjoy. By the way, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year's to your audience, Zach, man. I appreciate all the hard work you do, man. And uh, we'll speak soon. Definitely. Same to you. Have a good one.